0: On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Marillion's Fugazi. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands, album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Ken Gregory, Tom Corcoran, and Paul Zodder, as we continue our revisit of the fish-era marillion with Fugazi. Welcome to week two of the Fishmar reboot. All of a yeah. sudden,
1: I'm in a very somber mood for some reason.
0: <laughs> I can't imagine
1: why. Jesus. Tom, Tom Tom pulls up the psycho psychologist chair right right before we start progressive palaver. Yeah. Jeez. Hey, has anybody heard of of um? This new thing they have at Starbucks maybe it's not new. I don't know. At Starbucks called A Puppuccino? Nitro? Nitro Cold Brew?
0: Oh, I've heard of it. I don't drink coffee, so I don't whatever.
1: So so I'm venturing back oh. into the workplace as as potentially required, but not really required. And and today there was actually enough people to generate like a three-person line at the coffee bar, which they serve Starbucks coffee, whatever. It's corporate America. And I notice as I'm waiting, there's the, there are these like taps and it says cold it says nitro cold brew. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that I've only ever heard that sort of in, in in relation to beer. So while I'm sitting there waiting my turn, I I Google on my phone nitro cold cold brew coffee. And apparently it's it's iced coffee that is infused with nitrogen. Which creates a smooth, creamy texture similar to that of like a stout beer. Right,
2: I've but never it, had it, but oh. it's coffee. Okay,
1: now I understand. I, I might have some. That. I might have some next time I'm in the office.
2: I've seen this in an office and not known what it was, and asked myself many questions. Hmm.
0: So it's funny. I, I I saw that I don't know several months ago. Probably even longer than that. It was it was before. The pandemic, because I seem to recall reading this in my office at the time, but they also have um, there are soda recipes using nitrogen because again it creates that huh. sort of creamy texture. Yes. So.
1: Yes. Mm. So there you go. I shall. I shall report back.
0: I think. I think we should have done that as our pre-show.
1: Maybe. It- <laughs> maybe should have been. It's all good. I just need to elevate elevate the mood a little bit.
0: Well, yeah, instead, of, <laughs> instead that, of
1: talking about my love life. Because that's depressing. And and I, you know, even just
0: looking at the cover for Fugazi, you kind of know that you're not in for, you know, the most happy of experiences. Right? Uh, you know, I mean the you know, and it's it's funny, right? I think obviously um I believe it's Mark Wilkinson did the covers for the first four. Now I understand, you know, Clutching at Straws, they had sort of a different concept and and they sort of veered off. Uh, Misplaced Childhood, on some degree, sort of stays on track. But I think it's it's a a vast departure in the sense that the first two, Script and Fugazi, the albums are really self-contained, cohesive stories sort of grounded in a more or less realistic environment. The the thing about Misplaced Childhood is is it's sort of removed from the room, if you will, right? It's kind of cast into space. But these two really sort of tie in to what's contained in the album in in ways that, you know, know, I think it was when we talked about uh, Genesis, right? They tried to have cues from each of their songs in mm. in the in the cover. But right. this does it in a much more holistic and graphic sort of way. And while the cover for script for Jester's Tear, I think is is appropriately sort of, you know, maybe dark and melancholy, this cover, it, it just it's a it's a shit show before you even pull the, the disc out of the sleeve, right? And you're like, holy crap, what am I in for? And I don't think you're disappointed in that regard. Yeah. I mean, this, this, this jester, he's had a rough night or couple of days. I'm not quite sure what the hell happened to him.
1: Yeah. Um, so it's, so it's so funny in college. I, in my freshman year of college, when I was just sitting like just perfect, perfect segue from our earlier discussion, I would just be sitting in my at my desk in my dorm room completely lonely cuz you know I was like still not you know this stupid floor, introvert and didn't really know anybody yet and I would I would write letters to people and I would I would you know write lyrics and I I drew this picture I probably still have it in a folder close by I'll see if I can find it and it was basically it was basically like I tried to create a picture that encompassed every surface tension song. Oh, nice! That that we um, that 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 uh, we had put together, and um, um, and I I and I can't I I just it just lost lo- left my mind. I know that I I grabbed a line from Prom Queen, and I had. I had writ, writ, written that on like the windowsill sort of in like a blood mm-hmm. sort of uh or somewhere on the photo and I'll never forget when I first picked up Fugazi <laughs> that I saw that and I and I thought ooh that's kind of weird cuz that's kind of like the picture that I drew like last year when I was in in college and um and I dare say it 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 somewhat tainted my first couple listenings of Fugazi way back way back then and what was that, Joe? That would have been like what, nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety when when we were discovering this?
0: Yeah, it it probably was. Um I so so my my watershed misplaced childhood moment occurred in our sophomore year, Hmm. which would have been what, spring of ninety, right?
1: Yep. Exactly. So it'd been the summer of ninety and I'm looking at this and listening to it and thinking, what the fuck am I getting myself into?
2: Uh, <laughs> I have a question about a mixtape you gave me during that same period, Joe. Yes. You called it, you called it cucumbers and explained to me that Marillion fans <laughs> were, in fact, cucumbers. And I have not heard this term in like 20 years. What, what, where are all these cucumbers?
0: Well, the cucumbers actually came in last episode. Um, they show up in Garden Party.
3: Oh. Okay.
0: And and Paul actually Paul actually relayed a story of when we saw them in early nineties whatever it was on the holidays in Eden tour yeah. whenever that was um, where was that show
1: that was at the the old Chestnut Cabaret the Chestnut
0: Cabaret there you go yeah that so place was, that was the fucking Cabaret. packed that
1: night too yeah fucking packed and. and- which, which is why we never saw each other, right
0: yeah, <laughs> we <laughs> probably never even got close to each other and and so Paul relayed the story about how when we got to do, or when they got to garden party, like everyone whipped out cucumbers, and we all wonder where they were, but that's a yeah, it's a whole different story
3: Whoa, yeah. yeah,
2: sorry, I missed that.
3: all right, yeah
4: I mean both uh I, well I think all all four of uh these first uh four albums extremely descriptive and um and they they really have um they have little easter eggs in them too and especially uh, you know not just on the albums but on the singles and you know little like hidden meaning things um that sort of cross over and um i i found it very interesting uh where there were um pieces of art on a certain single yeah. went back to the previous album. Um, and so there are pieces of, or, or, or to, or to the next one, rather. Um, there mm. are pieces of their first album script where there are things about Punch and Judy and there are um, little little nuggets in there. There's like a chameleon. Um, and there are some things with some of the, the, the script uh, singles that uh, you can, you, you can find later on. And um, that makes me, uh, I, I heard something that, you know, sort of fish had in mind that there was kind of a series. And I don't know if that was more of a rumor, but, um, Joe, with what you were talking about, I mean, and even with Fugazi, you know, he has uh, you know, he's lying there you know, half naked and he has pieces of the the, the, the jester around him and so there, are, there's definitely um, something there. I, I don't know if it was uh, more of a strict visual thing and they just sort of wanted to have fun with, with it or if there was more to it with with the story
1: i don't know if this is this is kind of what you're getting at tom but i remember reading an interview and 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 it's probably it's probably tainted my it wasn't an interview it was an article about marillion when i was when i was um i don't even know how i researched marillion in in the early 90s but you know one of the things that i that has sort of programmed the way that i perceive these first four albums is that I feel like script and Fugazi was fish really trying to write misplaced childhood. And, mm-hmm. and there are, I, I feel like there are those same links. And I think those links get more, more impressive and more obvious in Fugazi. And, and then, and then like he gets to misplaced childhood and he finally writes the thing that he's, he's been trying to write all along. And, um and it's, We'll talk about it next time. It's epic, and then and then once once it's almost like once he gets past that, then he can actually go to the next level, and and get to uh, clutching at straws and 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 sort of free him up to 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 write along different things. And this is just how I've sort of perceived the evolution of fish in this era of Marillion. But I will say this: that in his attempts to write. Misplaced Childhood, attempt number one being script for a jesters tear, and attempt number two being Fugazi. I am way more on board with attempt number two, Fugazi. Um, I, I think I put this in my top ten Marillion albums, and I did so without really have listening to this album since we originally talked about it three years ago. And when I started listening to it for this for tonight. Like almost immediately, I was just like, "Yeah, this is fucking epic." <laughs> this album is just—it it actually gets. I think it gets better and better every time I listen to it.
4: Definitely. Well, well, Paul, uh, I want to bring some up that sort of backs up your um, your theory about the um, you know wanting to to make childhood. Jonathan Mover mm. um, was in the band for a brief. Period of time uh, before Mr. Mosley, and he has a writing credit on Punch and Judy. Mm. Uh, I read something about why he was asked to leave, and the reason was Paul is that, ironically, to what you're saying, um, Fish wanted Fugazi to be a concept album. And he sort of asked the rest of the guys, "Hey, what do you guys think about *Fugazi* being a concept album?" And the other guys were kind of on board. They were like, "Well, possibly," you know. They they sort of left it open. But Jonathan Mover was like, "No, like this is this would be a disaster as a concept album." And he sort of spoke his mind. And he spoke his mind in a way that offended Fish. Um, and then um, apparently that really bothered him. Yeah. And then Jonathan Mover was uh, asked asked to leave. Uh, so that's what I read. Interesting. That, you know, one of the stories, but you had br- brought that up, Paul, with you know saying that you know Fish wanted to make you know the album that they made later here, mm. and he actually did want to make it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he actually really wanted to make this as a concept album, and you know, uh, I think you know uh, you know it, it is what it is, and. You know I, I don't know if jonathan mover's departure sort of ended that or maybe there were maybe the other guys in the band came up with the same revelation that jonathan mover did and said okay let's just make the album that we want to make and we'll do a concept of it. we'll do a concept album later but um that was what his huh. that was what he was trying to do
1: yeah interesting so
0: so since we've evoked jonathan mover and, and Paul, you touched on this last episode, but we do have to sort of talk a little bit about what happened with Jonathan Mover after he left Marillion, most notably with regards to Progressive Palaver. He uh, joined forces with Steve Hackett and Steve Howe mm-hmm. to form GTR. Now, that's very cool and all, but not only did he do that... Um, I guess he had a one-off gig with Steve I and Joe Satriani went on to work with with Satriani after that. Um, and then, mm. um, according to the wikis, uh, he tours with Saigon Kick regularly <laughs> and with the uh, twos. What? Yes I saw that. Yep. Uh. He um, apparently Prairie Prince, their drummer has sort of like a, a side gig with Todd Rundgren. So when oh. Todd, when Prairie Prince isn't available, Jonathan Mover will sit in with the tubes.
1: It, 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 it's Saigon Kick. Saigon a- Kick.
0: We all remember Saigon Kick. Do they, do they still tour oh, yeah. Saigon Kick? I don't know. Wow. I, I, I
1: don't I'm, know. I'm, I'm I, digging deep into the wikis now.
0: So... <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I, you know, when, whenever I see the tubes pop up anywhere, I'm always interested. And obviously we had already talked about the whole GTR thing. Um, yeah. When you talk about sort of the incestuous family tree of progressive rock, GTR plays a big role in connecting a lot of those streams together. It's really, really fascinating. yeah So the other thing that I wanted to point out when you talk about this, and we'll get to this in, in episode five of this series, I think um i guess we'll put it there i don't know um but the the amazing thing is when you talk about besides themselves half of that album was recorded before this album you know grendel right. and and a handful of b sides were from script so, I mean, these guys had just a shit ton of, of music going on. And so, you know, maybe the progression between album one and two isn't so surprising when you considered that de facto they wrote and reported album sort of 1A in the middle there.
1: It's true. So,
0: so Ken, maybe you'd like to give us a little bit of, of the context of the progressive rock timeline around 1984.
1: Yeah. And, and as you do, Ken, I just want to say this, right? It's fucking 1984. Okay.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Just brace yourselves for the, for the list of, of recordings you're about to hear.
2: Well, Joe, in 1983, March, Marillion released Script for Jester's Tear. Shortly thereafter, Steve Hackett, highly Strong, Michael, Phil, Crisis, Electric Lego orchestra, orchestra, Secret Messages, um, Asia Alpha in July, uh, Saga, Heads or Tails, Genesis, self titled Genesis, yes, 90125. Ian Anderson, walk into the light. Um, And that's kind of it for that 1983. And there's nothing particularly Prague released until Fugazi, March 12th, 1984. So it's actually a very short timeline, but the influence is epic, Paul, as you suggest, with 90215, self-titled Genesis.
1: Yep. And on, on the heels of Fugazi being released... You have, and I, I know Ken, you like to bring us up to date up to the album release, but in this, in the same six month period, yep. in fact, in the, in the same two month period, you have King Crimson's Three of a Perfect Pair, David Gilmore's About Face, Russia's Grace Under Pressure, Tom's Favorite Nighttime Lullaby, Roger Waters' The Pros and Cons of Hitchhiking, uh. and Queensrank's The Warning. So, and, and I kind of offer that more from a production perspective more than anything else because while Fugazi is produced way better than Script for Adjuster's Tear, when you, you compare it even to About Face, which is nothing special um, or Grace Under Pressure, like it just kind of falls a little short and and to just take it a step further, think about popular music at this time. The, the top one hundred from nineteen eighty four includes "When Doves Cry" by Prince, mm-hmm. "Say Say Say" by Paul McCartney, "Jump" by Van Halen, of course, "Owner of a Lonely Heart." big shout out to ray parker jr with ghostbusters which actually came at number nine in 1984 that's fucking epic right there
4: <laughs> friend friend of the palaver that's jr. it <laughs> all
1: right and and uh you know and and just like just for perspective dancing in the dark by by bruce springsteen um the reflex by duran duran right Aww. so like just, I mean, great stuff across the board, and and really, production was really starting to become, you know, I I think, you know, something special because while a lot of those albums that I just mentioned probably do sound quite dated, they have some special moments in there that are long lasting. And How about
2: July nineteen eighty four, Metallica ride the lightning. Mm,
1: see,
0: I, when you talk about when you talk about production, though. I mean, I recall here that I read Fugazi was recorded at like ten different studios as they were yeah. trying to do all this other shit. So you know, that's that's really not a recipe for for production success.
1: Indeed, and and while I'll say this, Ken pointed out in our very first episode that Fugazi is when the rhythm section really began to sync up, and I one hundred percent agree. And I think the drums are sounding good. The bass is sounding like epic. But Rothery is still really kind of finding himself. Like he doesn't really have a tone. He doesn't really, it's almost like his style hasn't quite come into shape. And Mark Kelly, who is, is just all over the shit on this, on this record, is like his sounds are kind of lame. It's kind of like, you know, he's still saving up for the next keyboard, you know?
2: I do like Mark Kelly's sense of rhythm in here. I mean, yeah. he, knows, he knows he needs to keep the music moving. He knows he needs to do arpeggios. He's, he's contributing a lot of momentum, a lot of ideas.
4: So, Maybe yeah. bothering sound is in question at times, but his playing isn't. No. I think he is like on, he, he just has the most tasteful Uh, melodies and licks in here. I mean, I, I'm actually blown away when I listen to a lot of these uh, songs and what he brings to these songs, Um, just the the sense of melody. And, you know, know, maybe he doesn't have the sort of fat tone. I mean, I I think it's pretty close actually, but uh, I mean, maybe it's not quite what it it will end up being, but I don't know. I think, I think it's pretty darn, pretty darn close. Hmm. Hmm.
1: I, I, I think we've probably mentioned this before, that, you know, his level of restraint in in certain instances. But like even in assassin, his ability to just, you know, play like down, 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 and just <laughs> just not do anything else and let Mark Kelly do his shit. I mean, it it's pretty awesome. It's pretty it's it's, cool. it's pretty awesome. But yeah, but for me, it's like I would really love to talk to them. And find out like what was it that happened between recording this and recording misplaced childhood that that I don't know just like sort of glued all of that stuff together in because really in the 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 style and sound of Rothery's guitar and even Kelly's keyboard, you know, in in misplaced childhood and then certainly the way it formed together in in clutching at straws has really been that's been the sound ever since
4: yeah that's true well i think paul um you bring up an interesting thought uh i think that ian mosley on this this is a standout album maybe he was just trying to like prove himself or he was trying to you know produce you know maybe he knew that you know the other Couple of guys, you know, got the axe, and he was like really um, wanting to to get in there to what uh, Fish wanted. But like this album, in particular, more so stylistically, certainly than Misplaced Childhood. But like even from the first couple songs, I mean, he is he's hitting those drums hard, mm. harder than he normally hits. I mean, this is like it really sets a tone for this album. And it's in a sort of like, there's a lot of anger in this album and you can say, okay, well, there's fish because of the lyrics and his sort of abrasive style. But I think Ian Ian Mosley at times, and we'll, I'll probably end up bringing this up a couple of times throughout when we're going over song by song, but um, he really has an aggressive style on this that... Now that you mention it, Paul, on this place childhood, it is toned back a bit, and I, I sort of have been known to criticize him a bit in the later Hogarth albums because I think he's a little too laid back. I think sometimes it's just I want to hear a little bit of punch um, with some of the stuff, and I think you know, again, I don't know if it's age or or, or what, but it, maybe it's just, maybe it's a stylistic thing. You know, maybe that's what they want, but um, you know, this album is sort of sets itself. A little bit apart from some, you know, really anything else. If you if you come to think of it, because um, there are very distinct um, hits in here that really set a tone for, and uh, they, they sort of go hand in hand with fish's angst. Sorry to say that word, Joe, but you know, with uh, with with fish's anger and and the, the drums are right right with fish in a, in, in, in a sort of abrasive manner. And I think that's what one of the things that, that defines this album a little differently um, from, from the other ones, so certainly from its predecessor, but um, also from the other two that we're going to you know, talk about. It's raw, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's raw in an aggressive way. There's more, of a, um, there's more of a hard rock influence, I think, on this album than some than than some of the other albums
1: i th- in Ian's book, I think you know in the part that I read you know about his interview in Prague magazine like he talked about it he, I think he's the oldest member of the band and he
2: was thirty one at the time
1: yeah, so when he came in, I think he was sort of the senior guy, and uh, I think he admits that when he was asked about them, he just sort of like, oh yeah those guys, those guys are great, even though he didn't really know anything about them right. and um but but, to your point, Tom, I think he had that maturity to come in and and deliver on those things that that you just mentioned. Um, it's you know it certainly elevates the music of uh, of this album and probably elevates it on on other other levels that you know we're we're not hearing.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting the breakdown here. Um, Mark Kelly was twenty three years old. Give or take. Rothery and Trewevis were 25, Fish being older, 26, and The Old Man for President, Ian Mosley, 31.
0: So if we talk about the particulars of this album then, as mentioned, Fugazi was released on 12 March 1984, was produced uh, again by Nick Tauber and released on the label EMI. Personnel include Fish on vocals, and he's credited with the cover concept. Stephen Rothery on guitars, Mark Kelly on keyboards, Pete Troavis on bass, and Ian Mosley on drums. With Linda Pike backing vocal on Incubus, um, Chris Karen additional er, percussion. The original track list is Assassin, Punch and Judy, Jigsaw, Emerald Lies, She-Chameleon, Incubus, and Fugazi. Hmm. Fugazi is the second studio album by the British neo-progressive rock band Marillion, released in 1984. Produced by Nick Tauber, it was recorded between November 1983 and February 1984 at various studios and was the first to feature drummer Ian Mosley, following the dismissal of the band's original drummer Mick Pointer. According to AllMusic, the album, quote, streamlined the intricacies of the group's prog rock leanings in favor of a more straight-ahead hard rock identity, end quote. Built upon the success of its predecessor's script for Jester's tier, Fugazi reached the UK top five and went gold. Wow. Wow. Now, I made mention in the last episode that, you know, after going through the, the gateway of misplaced childhood in my sophomore year of college and you know bringing Paul with me very enthusiastically and we started to discover the back catalog and I became obsessed with Script and he became more fixated on Fugazi and I think our preferences sort of stayed along those lines probably many many years I think in as I've as I've come to know this music and this album I think my opinion of Fugazi has probably come closer to Paul's whereas his opinion of script is probably still never going to come close to my opinion of that <laughs> record um, I mean you guys have already covered a lot of this I, you know there's I, I, everything I have to say about this album I literally could just sit and read the lyrics for each song and mm. just have a splooge fest and be done with <laughs> it because I mean just the 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 way, and I, I gushed about Fish's lyrics on on the script episode, and I'm going to gush about them even more now because I think these are even better. Um, you know, just and and the the way it's matched with the delivery is is amazing, and he really, you know, it's. And I read an an interview with with Fish just I think yesterday where he said, you know he wasn't he was and i forget how exactly he said it but fundamentally he was he was a writer who learned how to sing he wasn't a singer who learned how to write mm-hmm. and you know that that learning process is going on and i think you know that's maybe going to come to you know more fruition again through misplaced childhood and into into uh, clutching at straws but but there is a you know, much like you always see with these young bands, right? When they start out, and they don't know what the hell they're doing, and they're they're just doing whatever it is they think. But they they learn so quickly in the beginning. And I think musically, the band was probably pretty polished, but Fish had a long way to go. And I think he made a huge stride here, and mm-hmm. he's able to really convey the sort of you know. Manic shit show that's that's suggested by the album cover. So,
4: hmm. so it's so funny that you bring up <clears throat> wanting to put certain you know lyrics down in notes and, and, and go over them because I, I was the same way because I I was I, I do these I, I I hike up this mountain trail in the morning and um, so I was listening to Fugazi last couple hikes and I would just. I'd be listening to this and there'd be like this lyric. I'm like, oh, I gotta remember (laughs) And then I would like, I would like start to like either like text it or like do something. I'm like, oh, fuck it. I'll just, I'll just remember it later. And then like I'll go a couple minutes and I'll just be listening. I'll be like, you gotta be kidding. He just said that. And just like, I'm just, Mm. oh my God, I gotta write that down. And then like I just, so I wound up like writing nothing down. I I wrote like maybe one thing that I, Was listening to it later on the day, but there's so much on here. He's so descriptive, and he does things in such like an in-your-face way. But not a lot of times when things are in-your-face, they're very um, standard, and you know they're maybe not the most original. uh, But sometimes people need that. But he just he does things. He just says things in this poetic way that just hits you really hard and um I, I i had so many of these things that i was just gonna you know want to bring up but it was just i mean the whole like like you said joe i mean the whole freaking album is like this and i'm just like well we should i mean i'm just gonna like go over the whole the whole album and just read the whole album but um I yeah mean, it, it just it's I, really I, every I, line I is really so could. descriptive
0: and and so we did it um we did it last episode, but I, I think it's worth doing again, uh, just, you know, just to sort of set the stage, you know, right out of the gate. We, we read the first lyrics from Script for Jester's Tear, so let's, let's just start with how Assassin introduces us to what we're going to have. <laughs> I am the assassin, the tongue forged from eloquence. I am the assassin, providing your nemesis. On the sacrificial altar to success, my friend. Unleash a stranger from a kiss, my friend. No incantations of remorse, my friend. Unsheath the blade within the voice, my friend. Mm. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
3: I mean, it, it,
0: again, it, he's, he's able to sort of set the table right from the get-go. And, and it just gets, it, it gets better from there.
4: Well, Joe, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I just found out today, I think, that uh, I read something um, from Fish saying that this is about him firing um, Mick Pointer? Uh, uh, Mick Or yeah, Jonathan Mick, Mick Pointer. Okay. What's that?
0: Is it, is yeah. it a pointer remover?
4: Because he pointer. fired them both. <laughs> uh, yeah, he did fire them both. Um, this is about firing Mick, Mick Pointer. Okay. Um, I, I wanted to make sure, so I, I, that's why it's, it's a big pointer. But um, apparently they were friends. And so, because I was wondering, like, you know, because years I'm like singing along to the song, and, and he's like, my friend, my friend, my friend. I'm like, okay, is he just like not, is he like running out of things to say and he needs space? Are you saying my friend? Or like, what's the, what's the deal with my friend? Mm. But uh, apparently, uh, you know, he really felt that he – um, he felt like he had to do it and he felt like an assassin. And, and and I guess he felt bad enough to, you know, write a song about it or to write lyrics about it. But Mick um, Pointer, uh, they, they, they were friendly and there was, mm. you know, I guess fish really was trying to get him during the script years to take lessons. And, you know, Mick took that personally, and he didn't. And um, you know, Fish was was really trying to, to to work with him because they had gotten to be friendly um, or friends, and that's what this is about. And so uh, it was interesting to 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 learn that. So now it's like every time he says friend, I'm like, okay, at least I can. <laughs> It, it sort of makes sense.
0: Well, and and I think, you know, for, for me, the, the, there was always a key there anyway. If we go all the way to the end and the last stanza, where we repeat the same structure, there are other lyrics in here that I maybe like more, but it it this illustrates exactly what you're talking about perfectly. So you resigned yourself to failure, my friend, and I emerged the chilling stranger, my friend, to eradicate the problem, my friend, Uncheath the blade within the voice. He repeats twice, mm. I am the assassin, and it's that final line. And what do you call assassins who accuse assassins anyway, my friend? Oh. So it 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 just he, he lays it out there that you know mm. that's exactly what's going on. It's it's quite chilling, I, I feel. Mm.
4: This is a great way to start an album. And, and uh, that is
1: a fucking great ending too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because um, there, there is just that uh, that perfect amount of like disdain when yeah. he says "my friend" at the end. It's fucking awesome.
4: <laughs> well, it is. But hey, let's talk about the homage to Pink Floyd in the beginning with the um, with the guitar. I mean, it sounds like um, the Wall, right? Come on, you guys know when the <laughs> when the guitar comes in and it's like discoey. That's like sort of um uh, the wall part two right in the beginning. I don't know that and I've ever
1: really thought about it in that in that perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. Um interesting. Yes, mm-hmm. but you're right. You're absolutely right.
0: Well, I think we're we're always we're always dancing around the the Gilmore influence on Rothery anyway. So that doesn't, True. doesn't surprise me at all.
1: But yeah, that's a different one for me, though, Tom. That's an awesome call out.
4: I sound like a broken record. I know I bring this up a lot. Um throughout certain episodes, but, uh, you know, I talk about how, like, certain bands like Rush or King's X have these, will encapsulate sort of prog influences in, like, a four-minute song where you don't think of it as prog, uh, but, you know, there there are elements in it where you can say, okay, this is this is definitely, it sort of earns the title <coughs> without having the, the large Um, You know minute count And I think These first couple songs on this album Assassin being Of course The first one has a great hook To it (coughs) Excuse me Has a great hook to it And is definitely commercial In a sense that it's a good One to start the album uh, But it still has Those prog Sensibilities um, and 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 there's certain things that'll happen in here, the lyrics of course being one, but you know they they sort of go through a lot of different riffs in this song, but it it doesn't always seem like it, like it seems like it in the last album because <laughs> there's it, it's very sort of yeah. jolty and and you know the 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 drums are a big part of that obviously, but yeah. um, <clears throat> this one is, is more fluid, and so you don't always notice the changes but they're they're there and i I
0: like that tom um, it's almost like you know when we read that quote about them being more straightforward it's almost like this is stealth prog
4: yeah (laughs) (laughs) interesting yeah so i mean this these first three songs i mean this this, i mean in particular i mean this is a a really strong way to start on an album Mm. we're all we're all waiting in, in anticipation to, to see what uh, Ken's going to say about the first song.
2: No, I'm just going to say Stealth Prog is uh, the genre of the era. I mean, if, if we're talking 90215, if we're talking Genesis Genesis, it's all Stealth Prog. So
1: imagine what would have happened if they would have labeled it Stealth Prog instead of Neoprog. <laughs>
4: <laughs> or how about uh, Nitro Prog? Nitro Prog, there you
1: go.
0: Nitro Cold Brew Prog. So shall we go on to the um, traditional um, puppet show in Punch and Judy?
1: Mm, yes.
0: Now, Punch and Judy—if actually Punch and Judy as a as a basic concept has its own wiki page,
3: huh?
0: So Punch and Judy is a traditional puppet show featuring Mr. Punch and his wife, Judy. The performance consists of a sequence of short scenes, each depicting an interaction between two characters, most typically Mr. Punch and one other character who usually falls victim to Punch's slapstick. Now, interesting enough, and I always feel somewhat obligated to point out where there are crossovers to our our part of our namesake, the Dark Tower series, by Stephen King... He does make mention. Roland's character does make mention of several times in in that series, I believe, a Punch and Jilly show. Mm. So I, I believe that's just him adapting the same thing. Now, Punch and Judy—it's—it's it. it's kind of ironic to me, given the some of the conversation we had before we got on air today, because oh, being a divorced man, Punch and Judy hits me differently than it did when I was a 20-year-old man. Um, mm-hmm. Just the way it sort of, you know, describes the the, the, the the difference between when you're courting someone when you're young and the pressures of maintaining the household and putting up with each other and how it just so easily falls to shit. And it's, it's really painful the the, the way he just puts this out there. Um, but it's, it's very effective. And while it does hit me differently, I still listen to it and enjoy it. I just have this sort of little pit in my stomach when I listen to it now that I didn't have back when I was, you know, 20 years old.
1: Mm. I I love that you brought it up, Joe, because I think for me, my reaction is I like, I always just love this probably, you know, growing up just, just enough. Or, or just as much for the the rhythmic nature of this tune than anything else, right? And and the way it, it all flows. But but man, listening to it now, like I can I can like in the chorus, like I can I can just feel it. Like I you know I'm right there with all of that like angst and anger and yeah yeah I I I can I think I connect in a. In, in, in some strange way in a more positive <laughs> release yeah
0: it, it has absolutely nothing to do with anything and, and it's it's really quite silly but there was the, the the one line in here that has always always stayed with me and this this is just based on my um you know my sort of experience um where is it who left the cap off the toothpaste tube? <laughs> when when I was younger, I oh,
2: that rhymes with the next line. Go it ahead. Does. Yeah, yeah, who
0: who yeah. forgot to flush the loo? But but for me personally, <laughs> when I was when I was younger, I spent a lot of time at my aunt and uncle's house. My aunt and uncle didn't have any children. Um, I was a you know, I was a youth on the the verge of being wayward. And and my family felt that it was important for me to have some structure and influence. And my aunt and uncle were happy to provide that. So I, I would spend my weekends, um, you know, at their house doing whatever it was that, you know, helping my aunt do whatever it was that we were doing that day. And that sometimes included, you know, cleaning the house. And they, they lived in an, an older Cape Cod. So they They only had a single bathroom that they shared, but there were two toothpaste tubes. And I remember, I was 12, 13 years old. I remember asking my aunt why there were two toothpaste tubes. Why don't they just use the same one? And my aunt, very calmly, as she always did, explained to me that while she was a roller, my uncle was a squeezer. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and it just wasn't worth the stress <laughs> to their marriage to have to fight over how the toothpaste tube was dispensed and oh so they solved the problem by having two toothpaste tubes and so when i heard that you know when i was 19 or 20 or whenever it was that just that that always just rang a bell with me
4: you know what's funny about that i uh, joe as you were telling that story My first reaction was, oh, my God, that's ridiculous. (laughs) But the thing is, but listen to this. I'm even worse. (laughs) I have my own shaving bag, and I still use because I have two girls and my wife, and I can never find anything. So I have all my shit that I keep in my portable shaving bag, my toothbrush, toothpaste, everything. (laughs) I, I use it. I put it back in my shaving bag, and then I sort of hide it. I put it in one of the drawers <laughs> under the sink. So I'm like, but it's funny because, like, when I'm listening to your story, I'm going, "Oh my god!" But then I'm like, oh "My like my situation's even sadder." <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love the song so much. I don't even have any notes for this because I'm like, it's sort of like overload. Um, you know, all I can say is when this song starts. You know, I'm in a different place. I'm just, I'm like out of. It's like an out of body experience. I'm, I'm just in it. I'm, I'm feeling the anger. I'm in. I'm in the moment. I'm, I'm hearing everything. Like the first three songs on this album, I, I can just tell you, this is exactly the way I want to hear everything. <laughs> like this is just like. Per- if if the whole album was like the first three albums, it would be like the, the perfect album for me. Uh, I, I love, I'm, I'm big on hooks, but I like depth and I like substance and that it's just all there. I mean, you're, again, we're getting back to the descriptive lyrics and the lyrics that are taking you in. We're, we're getting back to sort of the dramatics of the way it's, Sung, and then we have just incredible um sounding and and great performances in here. I mean, we just—I think Paul, you had mentioned like the meaty bass sound out of Pete. I mean, like it really cuts mm. through on um, this song in particular. But um, I mean, it just—it just sounds like a piece of meat, and mm. uh, you know, and the, and everyone sort of like in the right place, and it just the, this song. Just comes off, in my my opinion, just flawless, I and mean, it's just like a perfect thing. And it's it's interesting, you know, looking at like the video for this because it's, um, you know, it's sort of 80s ridiculous, but it's, you know, it's interesting that Marillion really at this point was trying to break into the whole MTV pop thing, but yet still giving everyone, you know, the sort of the sort of depth and it, it it sort of, it definitely made sense to me while, why this was more popular in, in Europe at this point, no one really heard about this. Uh, No one really heard about Merlin in, in America until really misplaced childhood. Um, And, but the, the video was very, is very MTV, you know, and and it's sort of, it looks like it would be a hit and I guess, you know, it was played in Europe and they did do, they did do okay um, in in Europe, but um, it's, it's just great that they, that they did something like this, you know, even if you don't like it, it, I'm, when I hear it, I'm like, wow, like a band like did something like this where they didn't just go all out and just, you know, make their, you know, 20-minute songs to start. They were actually trying to achieve some sort of um, commercial popularity, and it was it was a cognizant decision that they were that they were making to do the video, to cut the song shorter, to give us the hooks. But I mean, this is an emotional, like, angry roller coaster, and it just goes so far beyond a commercial song. Um, they sort of overshot it at the time. Maybe not to us, but to what was going on. it They sort of overshot it to what, you know, the silly the silly uh, music video was. So, I mean, it's it, it just sort of, it goes with what we were saying last week, that just sort of Marillion was sort of like that awkward band that was like, In their own place and time, but they were like in another dimension. Like they're not like this wasn't like like Prague wasn't cool anymore, and like no no one knew what the hell Neo Prague was. I mean, it's a term we use now, but like I don't think anyone I don't know if at the time that was that was really going on, or that was really um, used. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but my point is is that they were just um, they were just in a in a different time zone. Almost, and it was somewhat working, but yet, it 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 wasn't. But I I, I think this is a just a, a a great song, and I I just I'm I'm, I'm a cloud eye when I hear it.
2: It is a great song. I'd like to chime in though on the on the British culture. Uh, we went on for minutes about Epping Forest and how inaccessible it might. be be to folks from other countries. Um, th- there are a lot of references in here that I never caught without reading the lyrics. And, and this will be a theme consistent with me throughout all of Fish's career where I just generally don't know what he's saying. But he's making references to the Daily Express. He's making reference to a vicar in a holy vest, which we don't talk about vicars here in the US. Church of E being Church of England uh So it's charming. It, it reaches new new heights. In we all want to experience new 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 cultures and new ways of describing things. And I I I I think I love that when I know what it is, but I don't know what these things are as they're just blasting by, as the cassette was rolling by, or now the streaming service. So I I I, I struggle with some of his lyrics.
0: I've always been somewhat of an Anglophile and, um, you know, interested in, in certain aspects of, of British culture and having exposed myself to that, you know, some of these things that you mentioned, while I didn't understand them exactly, um, I I did at least I I had come across maybe some of the terms and had some vague idea and, and I knew that they were, you know, decidedly not american in that regard um but yeah so so that may that, that's it's an interesting call out
4: that that is an interesting call out i mean that i think that puts a piece of the puzzle together you know why you know they they weren't they had a they had a slower reception in america i'm sure there was a lot more than that um there, were, there was a lot of things that um came came to be um, after fugazi but you know certainly um there may have been a more of a disconnect with a lot of that language um mm. in in we, america
1: we were also busy celebrating jump in panama
0: <laughs> well, dur- I mean, this, during
1: that that time
0: this started for me from the very beginning though i can remember you know, going and looking up what the hell Lothian was after I got into misplaced childhood. I'm like, what right. the heart of Lothian? What the hell's that? You know, so yeah, I get it.
1: I love that you said that, Joe, because <laughs> when I would hear shit like that, I would I'd always think to myself, I gotta ask Joe what that is.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we we all have the things we bring to the table, man. <laughs>
2: And now you're 50% of the play the research department. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. I, we- you know, I, I do wonder about that, Tom, though, that all of those things, when you think about the other things that were happening in progressive rock, if that was one of the things that drew so many people to Marillion, right? That if, if you were witnessing what was happening across, you know, your favorite progressive rock bands and weren't digging it, Right. Like if you were if you were not digging the nine uh, oh one two five ish, or 90125-ization of progressive rock, mm. I mean hearing something like Punch and Judy would just be like liberation to you, right? So I, yeah. I, I wonder if, if that exact same thing is what is what lit the match for so many Merlin fans.
4: Yeah, I mean there there was there was definitely a, a void to be filled. These guys did it did it well.
1: Listen, this video video is nothing short of silliness. Um, by the way, um, whatever version of the show notes we have, I'll I'll put this video. It's it's the live one, Tom, where they're like kind of on stage and fish is just kind of singing without microphones or anything like that. Is that is that the one you're talking about?
4: I'm talking about the one um we're sort of getting dressed in the beginning. It's he's like, oh. uh, Okay, but it's a, a it's, a, it's an actual like MTV video. Video. It's
1: like a like a, okay. I can't seem to find that one on. All right, I'll keep searching. There is a there is like a performance video that's just, you know, they're in a club performing in front of people.
4: But fish. Oh, you know what? Hey, hold on, Paul. The one that I'm thinking about is for uh, Stassen. So. It's. it's the for what? one. The, the video that I'm thinking about where he's sort of getting dressed and putting his tie on. That's for assassin.
3: Oh, okay. So
4: that's what I'm thinking about. So I don't think they actually, so that's the one I'm thinking about that. That's actually ridiculous.
1: Okay. All right. All right. So that's the
4: ridiculous I, I, video. But so, um, the one that you're watching may be ridiculous too, but I was thinking about something. Different. Okay.
1: Well, I mean, definitely that was an issue for them. I'll just go on record as saying that now. Um, right. They they didn't they didn't have a lot of style or sense of style as much as anyone could in the eighties.
4: Well, the it, the 80s it's kind of what style. we were talking I about.
0: Mean, we talked about the reflex, right? Duran Duran was nothing well, but
1: style. Well, okay, so uh, there you go. So so yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. There's no. There's really no excuse. They had well, no style.
4: Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this a little bit last week. How sort of fishes like the anti-singer you know he sort of was this sort of tall lanky guy who um you know had the receding hairline and at times he was sort of overweight and he sort of didn't really have any sort of style like he had like that weird bandana that he put on and
1: well the bandana was like almost almost a requirement in 1984
4: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah but it's just it just, it wasn't, just it, didn't
1: it, look it didn't look it, right. It, it, it did not look right.
4: It just, like, they these guys all did the things that they were supposed to do as far as, like, the look, but it just went, it always went wrong because they weren't, like, like, they didn't have, they weren't, like, the hair metal band where they sort of all went all, all out with that, and they brought the, like, traditional 70s Prague sort of thing where they sort of had were, were toned down they were like in this weird place where it was like the 80s but like they were just not wearing everything right and it sort of reminds me i think paul you and i were talking about this it's sort of they, they remind me of that ridiculous picture of queens in on the uh, rage for water album where they're just like
1: Yes, It's
4: like they're just like there, and you're just like, oh, this is this is not right. It's like seeing your grandmother in the shower or something. It's right. Just like, it's just wow. it's like this is this just doesn't. Did, this, is, this is not working. Did we enough. all
1: think that those pictures of of during Rage for Order were over the top back in the day? How could you? Or was not? that? Right, did, we did, right? Yeah. We we thought it was over the top. We
4: you probably had to. did, and we just all. I mean, I yeah. just all. Overlooked it because I was just so thrilled with Rage for Order. I just sort of put it out of my mind. Yeah. But you know, occasionally okay. you do come across that picture, and you're just like, "Oh my God, this is this is real." I think we were just. Uh, I mean,
2: we probably had enough with style. Like it, it, it's like the difference between going to school every day and getting your senior portrait taken. It's just not real. It's just some bullshit thing.
0: Well, like, yeah, but they they had a decidedly
2: a bad senior portrait.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean there was, there was a lot of that going around but but they had you know they had that sort of extra layer of vampire vibe going on. Like you know a lot of the other hair bands were just hair bands. They were they were sort of taking the late 70s androgyny to a different level whereas The Reich has elements of that but it's it's very costumey at the same time. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. So let's move on to Jigsaw. I'm I'm curious. How do we feel about Jigsaw? Do we like oh. the extreme dynamics here? Is it is it cheesy? Is it you know what what's our feeling on on? Ah! <laughs> Tom, Tom's all excited. Tom, maybe you've got some thoughts yeah. on
4: this. <laughs> I I'll I'll actually shut up. But um no I I. I, I fucking love this song. I, I mm. fucking love this song. I, I, I just... Uh, this this is, is just like the perfect song. Um, I mean, there's uh, such a beautiful, beautiful chorus. Yeah. Um, I mean, this melody kills me. And it kills me because um, it's just set in such an original way and you know there's sort of like the typical 80s power ballad that you sort of we sort of grew up with like the whole I mean, name any sort of power ballad that you know whether it's white or whatever that we sort of like grew up with that have the big choruses and and, and whatnot but and, and this sort of has those but it's just like a beautiful painting we are Siamese children related by the heart Bleeding from the surgery of initial confrontation, holding the word scalpels on trembling lips. Oh, that is, is so beautiful! The oh. word scalpels on trembling lips. I mean, come <laughs> on! <laughs> uh, it's just you hear that, and you're just like, where has this been my whole life? Like, why, why didn't everyone just fucking? like keel over when they, when they heard this song and you just, and you know, it's kind of nice because it's sort of like, it's a, it's a special song that, you know, you have with just with a small group of people that can appreciate it. But like, I mean, I think this song is just the fucking cat's meow. I mean, this just has everything that I want to hear in a song.
1: Boy, you said it, dude, this, this was the song that the chorus sort of made me sit up and, and say, okay, wow, wait a second. Hold on. I got to start over here. Um, way back when, I mean, and, and it's funny the way this song starts with the keyboard, like even, even this go around, I was, when it started, I was like, man, you know, maybe this, maybe I really overemphasized this song all, all these years, but man, once the chorus hit, I, I just was like, oh my God, no, this song is, is everything. Um, and the problem always seems to be we're picking up the pieces on the ricochet. Mm. And, and then he adds in, this is the ricochet. Mm. Just like, like you said, Tom, it just like, it just takes the knees right out from under me. And, and, and I think this song more than and for, at least for me, when I listen to this song, this is where I, I, I hear the you know the soundscapes and the guitar approach that you know the style of Rothery like kind of coming through a little bit more that that we'll hear forever but then like the thing that just always gets me on this song is the last chorus when he says stand straight he like changes it in such a desperate manner like almost just just like as though it's abandonment. Like, he's just given up. And it's just so powerful. And I, I'm 100% with you, Tom. I just fucking love this song.
2: Uh, I tried to troll you guys last week, but I'm playing it straight this week. I, I
1: don't want to rain on
2: your parade. I I, I just find um, Fish's voice more suited to uh assassin and... Uh, As he gets into more of the relationship material, it's melodramatic to me, just the quality of what he does. I absolutely, I adore his reinforced falsetto soft voice. I love it, but even that is melodramatic. Mm. So when he's singing about, I don't know, um, just these universal, themes and, 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 and the more uh, you know, flamboyant disasters of Prague and the hell on earth, whatever it is, it's like, yeah, he's got the voice for that. But when he sings about relationships, it's like, why is Dracula singing about <laughs> relationships? So I, 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 I feel the love. I feel what you're saying. I yeah. feel the emotion in the music. It's just not quite the voice for it.
1: I, you know, I, I, I feel what you're saying too, Ken, because that was sort of my, my, and that's always sort of been my complaint with script is the, is just the over dramatization of all of this and the melodrama of, of his delivery and his voice. So I, I, I totally, totally get where you're coming from on that.
2: I mean, the words, yeah, the words are beautiful. And, and, and thankfully, I have you guys to, to give me a nice tour through this. Uh, just being left by my own devices, I wouldn't reach this point.
1: So, Joe, since you posed the question, what, how are your feelings sitting with Jigsaw?
0: Oh, I love Jigsaw. I'm a sucker for the, uh, the the big dynamic change, I love I love the chorus. I think the the sort of the quiet verses are very evocative of what we're going to hear on a lot of misplaced childhood. And um, I was just curious if mm. if there was it, because it, in some regards it almost seems dare I say too obvious, and that's mm. why I was curious if you know. I was falling prey to the obvious, or if there was more here.
2: How does this stack up to Genesis Duke album "Cul-de-Sac"? This song or this album? Ah, this song in particular. I thought against mm, "Cul-de-Sac."
0: It's... Oh, I kind of see where you're going there with with the sort of manic, uh, pain delivery and the, um, the, yes. the sort of conveyance of of Um, imminent peril, if you will. Yeah. I I mean, I'll, as much as I like this, this is no cul-de-sac.
2: Sorry to drag that out of you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. It may be unfair comparison given, you know, Duke's, you know, position in the, in the discography, considering that those three guys, you know, had been doing that that for so long. Yeah. Versus, epic, you know, Marillion's second status. album. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I I would agree with Joe on that.
0: And and having that conversation, I think it's interesting to go into Emerald Lies. There's there's a certain aspect of this album that if I'm not looking at the 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 disc or the list or whatever, I have a hard time remembering what song is what in terms of titles. Mm. Which, there aren't many Marillion albums that I do that with, but this one is one of them. Um, It's almost like it's just, it's taken as a whole. Um, But I will say that and, and again, this may be you know the gimmicks here may be more obvious, but I really do get off on on emerald lies um just you know to be the prince of possession in the gallery of contempt suffering your indiscreet discretions and you ask me to relent as you accumulate flirtations with the calculated calmness of the whore i'm the harlequin diamond costume dripping shades of green um know, wow okay and what really, really gets me, and again, it's it's stupid things that I respond to. Um, I love the end of that first stanza. Then plundering your diaries, I'll steal your thoughts, and the screamed innocence. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. It's definitely melodramatic, yeah. But but it it kind of woo. It gooses me, and then um, and you know while this is going on, you've got Pete and Ian doing their thing, and then it it kicks in. Um, to don the robes of Torquemada, resurrect the Inquisition. So that was one of those things I had to look it up. So he was one of the guys, obviously in the Spanish Inquisition, and um, in that tortured, subtle manner, inflict questions within questions. Oh God, mm. I just I love the way that whole thing is constructed. I love the way it's delivered. Again, it, it's it's a it's a spooky, creepy, dark sort of terrible situation that's being described here. But it's conveyed very effectively,
3: yeah
4: there's some dramatic moments on emerald lies that sort of come out a little bit as um, if you're listening to it a certain way you know sophomoric um, and almost a little almost a little immature kind of like yeah, uh, last year I was talking about how Forgotten Sons, there's like a lot of different parts. Yeah. And you can see why this is, you know, was on their first album. But I was saying like, even though it's sort of scattered at times, I, I love all the different parts. And when Pete comes in with those sort of 16th, that, that 16th note shuffle and then – yeah. You know, and then the fish goes. Oh, I love know, that. Under in your mm. diaries, I'll steal your thoughts. Like that's like, um, that's just it's it, it's just so good. You know, it's a little silly, but uh, I I sort of came up with it. it's like drinking a, a like you know it shouldn't happen that way like you know you shouldn't do something like that but it'll still feel fucking good like when you have the single malt scotch after that, and you know things are going to be all right. <laughs> um, and when they go into that point, um, it almost sort of reminds me a little bit like something off like Queensryche, The Warning Album, or maybe even something off of like Rage for Order. There's like, but just with like less production. Um, and it's sort of, uh, you know, it's poetic um, as, as Fish is, and it works, but, you know, it is it's, it's good to, um, a certain extent. I, 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 I think because they're, they're doing so many things here. It doesn't, and they don't have like more of the, the, the song structure that they have with the first three. You sort of, um, it, it's, it's sort of a, a step down. It sort of gives you some breathing room anyway. It sort of gives me some breathing room, um, to really, uh, maybe listen to some, to some other aspects of it rather than the, um, grand dramatics of the, of, of the song, but it's, uh, it's, uh, th- this is definitely more, definitely more proggy. We're getting to, into some mm-hmm. of the more proggy stuff. while we talk about Emerald Lies.
2: I asked uh, just moments ago, uh, you know, why Dracula was singing me a love song. I should have said the Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, w- w- the, the dramatic elements are back. And, Uh, this is clearly back in the relationship territory and I don't actually know the point of view. I don't actually know who fish is playing in this play. I am the Harlequin diamond costume doing shades green. I'm the Harlequin sense strangers violate my sanctuary. I actually don't know, but it's, 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 it's more in his wheelhouse at this point. It's a little more proggy, a little more dramatic more convincing
1: yeah so i mean my confession is that you know my love for fugazi is squarely and and completely held up in the in the strength of of probably the first three songs and and i confess that as we move through the album while i still really like all of it i i I, this is where i really start to Feel like okay, this is just practice for the next the next two albums, right? Like I hear some of the things, like when it re- when it really starts to kick in, like you're talking about, Tom. Like I'm I'm hearing, like to me, it just reminds me so much of clutching at straws, and and I don't know that I really connected with this stuff, you know, back in the day when I first listened to it, as, as much as I appreciate it now, but but for me, there there this is where you start to get all of the little and 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 maybe I look into you know maybe i'm I'm putting too much weight into the fact that you know that he you know writes a line and the coffee stains gather till till the pale kimono, right like I, I, things like that, and it just seems like he's starting to share with you all of the things that are that are coming later, like practice for the masterpiece, if you will, right um and it's not that it's not that I don't like it, but um, yeah. For, yeah. So I guess now that I said, it's not that I don't like it. I have to say something negative. I, I guess I can't really say anything negative other than I just feel like as I work through this album for me, it just starts to feel like, okay, this is a window into what's coming more so than me celebrating these individual songs.
0: And these, And, you know, Fish has been guilty of that. Uh, on on script as well. There, you know, he introduces in uh, in script this idea of you know having never written that love song he was supposed to do. Yes, you
1: know. Yes. So yep.
0: yeah, There, there. He, you're right. He's he's got some things that he's carrying around that he's trying to figure out how to shape <gasps> them into what he needs them to be.
1: Right. Right.
2: I'm just gonna say that "She Chameleon" is the best song on the album. <laughs> Really, okay, wow, interesting
1: yeah, it's a good choice. I just want to say that all of all the website that I'm looking at for all of these lyrics tonight basically is on a mission to sell me a telecaster from Sweetwater tonight. Mm-hmm. How's it working with out all, <laughs> with all the banner ads? They're pretty don't, tempting.
2: Don't forget, Paul, you're a reverend man. <laughs> But, you know, I, I, I think about this so often, you know, I love my strat and my telly and, 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 you know, thankfully I had an excuse to give you guys some tracks with the stuff that we're messing around with, um, you know, but maybe given the chance to do it all over again, I just would have had like one noiseless Paul Reed Smith. <laughs> you know? Um, Paul's still time. There's still time. Tellies are noisy, man. You know? All those fenders are noisy. You got yes, it. yeah. She,
1: she chameleon. So, I very similar to when I first first listened to script and the song the web, and he got he got to the point in the song where he goes and thus begins the web. Like there there was something jarring about that to me then that I just haven't been able to shake. And and she chameleon. When he says watch the lizard, it has the yes. same kind of impact on yes. on me. Yes, I haven't been able to shake that. And 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 I don't mean that in a good way, right? Like the react the initial reaction that I've had ah. to that has sort of. So I, I don't want to. I don't certainly don't want to downplay. It. I just that's. I just feel I All right, I all right, all right. well, that. allow
2: me to introduce this song to you. The, the only guy <laughs> in the band at this point with any sense of groove is Mark Kelly, and he's killing it. So w- while he's doing the organ part and he's leading the band through the slow rhythmic elements of She Chameleon, they are so giving me the feel that I've been lacking mm. in the prior album and the beginning of this album. This whole thing switching from pointer to Jonathan mover to Ian and they're all and, and, and heaven forbid that the, the, the reverb makes it sound even more like a drum machine. I mm. haven't grooved in ages until Mark Kelly played the organ. And now my soul is at peace. I'm really feeling this. She Chameleon is a wonderful song. And not only does Mark lead the verses, but when it comes time to do his solo, he's killing that. And, and I, I'm, I'm just grateful. Mm. Uh, and, and, and I love the unity, watch the lizard, watch the lizard. I love this. It, it, it to me, it's very Genesis, very Peter Gabriel, very much of the genre yeah. to, to match up the toms and the voice. Yeah. And, and, uh, this is, uh, the best example of fish's head voice that we have in this period. Mm. It, 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 it's pretty gorgeous so I'll, I'll I'll leave it there i'm I'm nice gonna, I'm gonna stake my claim on She chameleon
1: Nice, Kenny G.
4: It never fails to amaze me how far apart Ken and I are on so many things musically. <laughs> uh She chameleon is definitely like the worst song on this
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> um this just the part where I'm like, okay, this is why in my head. Fugazi is not the perfect album <laughs> and it's because of She Chameleon and it just, you know, there are moments like I do like the Mark Kelly stuff in here, but as a song, you know, it just doesn't really go anywhere for me. And it's um, a sort of mid tempo thing that doesn't quite have any, any really robust um, songwriting arc. And it's, it just, it you know, it's you know, fish is like sex, even when, you know, he's bad, he's good. So I'm still with him. Yeah. Um and I'm still sort of in in here, but this is the sort of the mid album lull I have. Mm. And then it's sort of like the breather for some of the great things to come again toward the end. But I I if I had to pick a, a song that it's they my, my least favorite song it would be she chameleon joe they
2: said in unison i I got nothing
1: joe's in a sour mood he said
0: (laughs) joe joe isn't a i mean i i I don't know i there are there are things about it honestly i had kind of gone i skipped ahead while you guys were talking i was looking at the lyrics to incubus and just kind of drooling all over myself so Mm.
1: let's do it let's do it let's go there then i mean yeah let's go to incubus my second favorite
0: yeah, so I mean, I just I, I was I was looking at this, trying to figure out which part of it I wanted to sort of emphasize lyrically speaking, and I just want to read the whole damn thing. It's <laughs> it's so damn good. Oh my god, I love it. Um, and it's it's funny, right? Because we get and we just talked about this, Paul. You know, fish having these these phrases, these concepts, so we get a misplaced reaction. Mm. Not a misplaced nope. childhood, but a misplaced reaction. So we still have a misplaced something coming up in here, which you know I can't imagine. Misplaced is not a word people go around using all the time. So exactly, you know, it, it, again, he's carrying this around. But as we get into it, the dark room unleashes imagination in pornographic images in which you will always be the star, um, untouchable, unapproachable, constant in the darkness nursing an erection, a misplaced reaction with no flower to place before this gravestone, and the walls become enticingly newspaper thin. But that would be developing the negative view, and you have to be exposed in voyeuristic color. The public act lets you model your shame on the mannequin catwalk. Let the Mm. cats walk, and the cat walks. So the way that Fish is weaving in and out of here with, with... Photographic terms and sexual innuendo is mm. absolutely just stunning yeah. to me. I, I mean, I love the way he's able to to do this. Um, and then you know when he when he goes into the, the the next, I guess you'd call it a verse. You can't brush me under the carpet. You can't hide me under the stairs. The custodian of your private fears. Your leading actor of yesteryear. Who, as you crawled out of the alleys of obscurity, sentenced to rejection in the morass of anonymity. You who I directed with lover's will. You who I let hypnotize the lens. You who I let bathe in the spotlight's glare. You who wiped me from your memory like a grease paint mask. Just Mm. like a grease paint mask. Now, first of all, singing all of those words is a feat (laughs) in and of itself. I could barely say them. Um, when you get into that, that sort of middle part of there, but, but here again, when I hear this, all I can think of is the, um, was it soft sell with don't you want me? Right. The, the whole, I did all this for Mm. you and now you're leaving me alone thing, but, but fish does it better. Fish does it in one Uh. verse and the way he brings in the, the, you know, because the the jester has become his sort of alter ego for the the poor, woebegone lover, right? And he brings that in with the grease paint mask, just so beautifully, and and he sort of cements that image in here, sort of somewhat unexpectedly, honestly. Um, mm. But I, I just I love the way he does that, and then, but he's not even done. <laughs> Your perimeters of courtiers jerk like celluloid puppets as you shudder paralyzed, as you stutter paralyzed with rabbit's eyes, searing the shadows, flooding the wings to pluck elusive salvation from the understudy's lips. Retrieve the soliloquy, maintain the obituary, my cue line in the last act, and you wait in silent solitude, waiting for the prompt. Waiting for the prompt. Yes. Oh. It's, it, it slays me, and I just you know that's just that's the lyric portion. But again, I think I think the way this is is tied in musically and delivered everything. You know, if and I'm not saying I necessarily 100% agree with with you and and Tom. If you've gone into a little, little bit of a lull here and maybe in the middle, I think this is definitely coming out of it for me. I think Incubus is is. Just a a great, energetic, sort of fun song in a dark, scary way.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right, Joe. And the and the the way the music complements all of those lyrics, particularly, you know, the you know where it sort of gets into that suspended chord at the end with the waiting for the prompt. Yeah, and, uh, and then and then that very last line where he says, "You've you've." You've played this uh, scene before. Yes, I mean it's just like it's 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 wonderful. It it is it is wonderful. Very and very progressive too. I think the way it's structured.
4: Yeah, I mean I never heard lyrics like this about just infatuation. I mean this is mm-hmm. just like it takes it to a different level. Um, I was just going to say, especially toward the end of the song, where you know, it it really builds. I mean, this song builds and builds and builds. And then it really comes to a head. I almost wanted to hear this. I I almost would love to hear the song. If they were later in their like later in their career, because I, I, I almost, there's, I, I obviously love the song and, but I, I'm almost hearing the potential of something, um, almost on a grander scale and, you know, they do it to a certain point because they bring in the female vocals, which are nice, but like, I really want to hear more. And, you know, I think there's, there's moments. I mean, again, we, sometimes we forget that this is only their second album and they're coming up with such good stuff. Yeah. But so I, you know, sort of cutting them a break, but I mean, I think that this, I I, I would just for selfish reasons, I would have loved to have heard the song, um, you know, down the line, because I think that they would have uh, really um, brought the second half of this of the song up a couple levels, and the sort of richness and texture that they that they did, well, certainly in their in their last two albums, I think is here, but just you know, in a in a fugazi kind of a way. It's it's definitely more raw. And it's still still great, and you know this is definitely like Joe said, we're coming back up to you know for the for the yeah. you know for the big finish, and um, you know I I always love the song, but you know I think to me I'm hearing a little bit of the sophomore side of them hmm. um, because I um, I'm I'm just hearing something and bigger.
2: the transition, yeah. Yeah, because it's a long song with a lot of transitions and, and it's like watching, you know, a three year old pull a little red wagon and, and and you can see it wants to flow and <laughs> like
4: that's, like, that's like, a like pretty solo, dramatic right? example again. R- R- <laughs>
2: Rothers Rothers does a great solo and then he has the different sections with the low low on the neck and then the bending high on the neck. But you feel like he's he's stifled. Like he's hearing all these things in his head that he's not really playing yet. Yeah. It's funny. And, and try in a charming way.
1: Hey guys, that was a that was a really great song. It reminded me of a three year old pulling a wagon. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I agree with that too much, but I will say that there um you know, there's there's definitely room with the end. I, 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 I think the sections flow well. Actually, I, I, yeah. I just think that there's I, I never have a problem with the the way that this, the the sections flow. Um, I'm just I'm just so in the in the moment, and I I'm so emotionally there. I actually mm. just the maybe the, the 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 bigger production sensibilities that I've you know come to like in certain things um You're sort of hearing to turn it at down
2: the your speakers in any bucket. moment
4: <laughs> what's that
2: you really wanted it to get so loud that you have to turn down the car stereo <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: you know
0: and I, I i've been thinking about this as we've been talking about it right because we're we're kind of bagging on you know some of this with regards to the production and everything else and, and we were we, you know, we mentioned. I'm not going to say disparage the I, the concept that this was recorded at at ten different studios and how that's not conducive to a super slick final product. But there's a flip side of that coin because they did record this album at ten different studios in and amongst everything else that they were doing. They actually started yeah. the tour for this album before it was even done, hmm. yeah. and it's still produced way better than script for jester's
1: tear yeah you know that's yeah Yeah, it's true and and a couple things that i'm reflecting on as i'm as i'm listening to you guys talk about this is that it's so good on itself i mean this tune is is so good in, in and unto itself and yet we know because of where we came in that that it only gets better from here right and 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 sometimes from i i know i'm guilty of sometimes that uh tainting my my view the other thing is as i read through these lyrics in preparation for today as we go through them painstakingly through this episode i i just continue to marvel at at fish's poetry and i believe that his his desire once he finally puts puts the the final nail in the coffin of his music career is that his his goal is to write and all i can think of is like wow let's just get to that you know like what is fish's first publication going to be um when he retires from touring and recording it's kind of exciting
0: yeah, I'll be curious as we go through the fish catalog because I'll be perfectly honest, you know, I'm I'm intimately familiar with certainly three of the albums in the catalog. I own most of the rest, but I can't say that I'm intimately familiar with them. So I'm I'm curious if the lyrics hit me in the same way that these first four um Marillion albums do. Yeah. So interesting. One of the sort of Tropes that Fish develops here on these first three albums, and and thankfully he changed this trope on Clutching at Straws. Uh, and I don't know, you know, it, it's a trope that that we've accused John Anderson of of carrying around, and that is finishing the album with a quote important song. I, I you know, and and I like the important songs, and I enjoy the important songs. But i don't need them to be important and for those of you sitting at home i'm doing air quotes every time i say important Mm -hmm. um because you know again we've spent this entire album and and this is one of the things that i find really jarring about misplaced childhood and we talked about it on our our uh, top 10 marillion albums list but in in this album it's this it's it's the it's even worse on this album we have spent this entire album at, at ground level in all these different interpersonal relationships with all their problems and we're really up close and we see everything that's going on and now suddenly we're shitting about the world's problems <laughs> what? I, I mean not that it's a bad song it just you know to quote Disney it throws me off my groove and that's not to say that again Fug- Fugazi is, is great I love it um you know, I I remember um, one of the, one of the cool episodes that we had from the Marillion weekend in in Holland in 2007 as we were completely immersed in in Marillion land, we were sitting at dinner and this album came on and it's like where else in the world are you going to be having dinner and can listen to Fugazi? Well, you're not. Yeah. That that's it. And and you enjoy it and you embrace it, but and, and, and like I said, I'm, I'm going to read at least one of the verses from this song, but I just I I don't need it to be at this level. I want to stay at the level I've been at for the last you know 35 minutes or whatever.
2: How does I'm the wicked. song stack up to, uh, let's say, uh, oh, um, White Russian, and uh, what's 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 which eight uh, on Sounds That Can't Be Made? What is the epic H song? Gaza. Yes.
0: So it, it's funny you should bring up White Russian because you know again, Paul and I were were sort of accusing, if that's the right word, of Fish of using this as a practice album. You're absolutely right. A lot of the imagery here is going to show up again in White Russian. So you know, yeah, very. It, it certainly evokes a lot of the same things. Both of those, I feel bad. I this is a sophomore song. I think Mm. White Russian is as incongruous in the context of clutching at straws as this is, but I fucking love White Russian.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. And and while there is that connection in some ways, there is absolutely, as far as I can remember, no references to Uzi's on a street corner in Fugazi. Mm Mm-hmm. You know,
0: it's funny. We talked at serious great oversight. <laughs> we, we we talked at great length when we went through the the full Marillion, and, and this was this was much more of a Hogarth trick. But the the idea of the mantra, right? It's it's yeah. funny that I mean, is Uzi's on a street corner? Fish's first mantra?
1: Uh, it might be. Yeah, you know, it might be. And,
0: and it's just it's it's an odd one to choose. You
4: know. <laughs> well, I mean, there is a common theme that we have and we certainly touched upon in Pink Floyd where Roger Waters, I think Paul, you brought this up a couple of times, you know, was making the song mother several times before like mm. he actually made it. And there was, um, you know, the, the song on animals and even before animals, um, you know, I think there was, there was a song, um, a, a couple songs that were, on the same level as Mother, but just not quite as good, and he just sort of kept going with the theme that he wanted to do, and he finally, finally made Mother, and you know that, yeah. of yeah. course, it is what it's a great song that it is. Um, so you know, I, I think that uh, yeah, I mean, this is a sophomore album. I mean, this is their second album. Uh, I like it a bit more than you, Joe. I mean, I will say that uh, actually I love this fucking song. Um, uh, You know, I, I I don't know if I, how I would compare it to, you know, maybe I'll compare it to white Russian or some other ones. Maybe when we talk about, you know, talk about it next week or the week after, but I mean, I will say that, um, uh, this just has that emotion and I love when a song sort of comes out with like this sort of big theme at the end, and we we change gears and then we get into this, I mean, where are the poets when he's singing that? Yeah. I mean, that's it, that just, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, um. Well, and, and it gets, and the, gets me every time. And then, like, you know, when when, when we were in Holland or wherever the fuck we were, that, that's where they were this, that's what they were singing. You know, I mean, that's what everyone was just like, had their beers, where are the poets? And they were just like, I mean, it was like something out of a movie where they're all sitting at, you know, like pub style singing along you know, to the gang vocals. And I mean, it was just like this wonderful moment um, that I remember. And, uh, you know, I loved it. But uh, I mean, I just, I mean, something like a lyric like "oral contraceptive, aborting pregnant conversation." Ooh, I right, right. Yeah. I mean, just like I mean, uh, you're just like, wait a minute. You you have to almost stop the album and like just like take that in for a second, um, and 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 go back. And but so I mean, you know, I think this is a, a fabulous way to, to to end the album, but. um so uh, Joe, I think you were going to read something.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, there's there's part of this that always has gotten me, and and don't get me wrong, I I never. It's not like I ever don't listen to this, or I'm like, God, this is a pain in the ass. It's just this sort of small irritant that I have with these first three albums that I, I just wish they they kept sort of the subject matter where where I wanted it. But it's not my band; they can do whatever they want.
3: But Part he lands this
0: whole thing perfectly when he sums up where we're at. And I, I love this, this whole stanza. Son watches father scan obituary columns in search of absent school friends while his generation digests high-fiber ignorance, cowering behind curtains and the taped-up painted windows, decriminalized genocide, provided door-to-door bell sins, Pandora's box of holocausts gracefully cruising satellite-infested heavens. The way he delivers that line is sublime, by the way. Waiting the season of the button. The penultimate migration. Radioactive perfumes for the fashionably, for the terminally insane. Insane! Do you realize? Do you realize this world is totally fugazi? And um, that's when we get into the where are the prophets thing, and which is an, you know, it's an excellent way to to finish all this up. I just that whole thing, um, hmm. Pandora's box of Holocaust, gracefully cruising satellite infested heavens. Oh, I just that that line, it, it really is hmm. a it's a it's a happy moment, because
2: again, it, okay. it's
0: it's eloquent, it's delivered very smoothly, but it's so sinister
2: here's my absolutely jarring analogy what if genesis at the end of duke said let's just tack on land of confusion right here (laughs) (laughs) okay you see where i'm coming from let's get topical
1: (sighs) yeah i i I I really like I, I sort of fantasize that I'm sure that wasn't wasn't happened that this was the last song they recorded and like as they were like wrapping up the session you know Rothery's like packing up his shit and he looks over and Pete and he goes damn I, I think I want to go back and re record the whole thing because I, I think I figured out how I want to play everything I've ever I'll ever play again <laughs> like musically I, I think this song is just the biggest tip of the hat to to what's to come. Musically, musically, I love it. Topically, it's—I mean—the song's great. I don't want to, but I'm with—I'm—I'm kind of with you, Joe. On—I'm not kind of with you. I'm—I'm I'm totally with you. Like, you know, and—and and Ken, your analogy is great. Um, uh, as awesome as this is, it's kind of like, oh man, you know, we were in such a great place before. Why do we have to talk about this? And there we
0: go. It takes us home. Fugazi is, you know, it, uh, dare I say that Fugazi is just quantifiably, demonstrably better than script, as much as it pains me to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, Indeed, you know they, they've they've again they, they've learned a lot as a band. They've smoothed off some of the edges. They've they've honed some of the other edges. I mean, I, again, I think some of the lyrics that we've called out here are just razor sharp, and and you know, as Fish himself referred to them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, words words can be used to be very powerful if used properly, and and Fish understands that, and Fish can do that. Um, the addition of Ian Mosley, it's important. It's very important. I made mention um i think on the on the top 10 albums episode you know these guys have been this same group of people have been playing together without interruption now um the, you know the the four musical core for what is it 36 years mm-hmm. 36 wow. years uninterrupted and i think it shows in the in the the way that they you know, perform in the way that they know each other. And, you know, for all that, you know, for all that the other bands had, um, you know, yes, sometimes found great energy in bringing in new blood or bringing back old blood. Um, Genesis continued to add by subtraction. But the core of Marillion is formed and stays formed. and And they seem to be, completely simpatico from a musical direction i mean granted there's the whole thing with with fish and and hogarth and everything else but i i think having gone through the marillion catalog before from this point on these four guys are they're on the same page and i think they still are
1: yeah amen to that and you know joe i don't think if if you do come to the conclusion that categorically fugazi is better than script or at least more advanced. Maybe that's the maybe that's the the way to phrase it. Yeah. It's just more advanced than script. Script is still great. And because I w- I will say that as I mean, as much as I love Fugazi, and I put him in, in the top 10, that misplaced childhood is way more advanced than Fugazi. And you know, I'm probably listening to that two to three times for every time I listen to Fugazi. Mm. But it's not it's not necessarily a bad thing about Fugazi. It's just it's it's an ev- evolution and it's an advancement and yeah. And they're so young that you know they're they're advancing by leaps and bounds. Like it's it's it's, it's not quite the difference between I, I I don't know what the right example is, but it's not quite the difference between I'll I'll, I'll like Merlin dot com over radiation, right? Like. It's not incremental gains right. here. We're 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 taking leaps and bounds.
0: Well, I think that's what you know. That's one of the things that really does separate out Misplaced Childhood. And I think you and Ken had mentioned this. You know the 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 transitions on that album. And I mean, you you start it, and just all of a sudden, you know, if you've got the vinyl, you have to flip it over, and you're like, "What the hell happened?" Yeah, I mean, it just, poof, it, it's just and and uh, you know we'll we'll get into it so i won't i won't go too crazy but there there's just the the progression if dare i use that word for misplaced childhood over this is is dramatic
3: hmm. yeah
0: but but i mean again and that you know it it sounds like we're we're ending on a downer note but i i really don't think we are i think all of us um maybe can to a somewhat lesser extent, you know, appreciate what's going on here. And there is a certain energy that you can, you can latch on to and, um, and really enjoy. And so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Yeah. All right. Oh. So gentlemen, yes, that means next yes! week we get to talk about, you know, fish gets his concept album and we get, uh, we get to go into misplaced childhood and Tom, you got some splaining to do my friend.
1: can we start at 9 30 next week so we can have another therapy session before we start sure that'd be great with 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 tom the psychologist
0: (laughs) 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 all right gentlemen until next time i will uh i will thank you and like i said next week we'll be doing uh misplaced childhood it'll be great thanks guys this episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you, and we look forward to your thoughts, comments, feedback, and questions. What, what are your thoughts on this early part of the fish-era marillion catalog? Mm. And um, you can reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Paula on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. Welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, presumably wherever you find your your podcasts. We've got ourselves out on a lot of different platforms at this point. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening.